Welcome to episode 16 of the Backpick Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Thomas. Today's guest is Craig Albernaz, catching coach for the San Francisco Giants. Craig talks a lot about Gold Glove finalist Patrick Bailey and all the things that he does to work with him. He talks about his time with Buster Posey and all the things that he brought to the Giants organization. He talks about the training environments he creates, the relationships he creates, a really, really great deep dive into the holistic approach to coaching. Hope you guys enjoy it. So first off, uh, I guess a congratulations in order. Uh, Patrick Bailey, a, a finalist for a gold glove this year. That's pretty pretty freaking exciting as a catching coach. Oh, yeah, man. I'm, I'm pumped for him, man. I think it's one of those things where every catching coach you talk to and, and that's out there, or any coach in general, like you're just pumped up for the player. Like you put, you, you're in there with him. You see all the work he's put in, you know, the trial and error, the frustration, and to kind of see him get rewarded just from even being a finalist from his peers and the recognition is, is awesome for him, man. So, yeah, I'm definitely excited for him. So cool. Talk a little bit about the season he had. I think, uh, you know, he really kind of, not that it's really different, uh, I think, amongst us in the kind of the catching world, but I think to the to the casual fan, just kind of seeing a little bit more of the kind of shortstop actions in a sense of what he's doing with his throws and his feet and everything like that. Talk a little bit about him and his development with that. Uh, probably a lot of natural ability, um, but then how you obviously harness it in. Yeah, I mean, he threw like that his his whole his whole life, you know. Um, I think that's something that he's spoken about in interviews and whatnot when, you know, he didn't have the strongest arm when he was like a teenager and he got to the big diamond. So he relied on his quick release and athletic just to get the ball in the air. And then the arm strength came with it. So when we first drafted him, even before I knew we were kind of kicking the ties on it, possibly could be a pick look at the videos you're like damn man this sophomore year he was slinging it like he was you know like you said shortstop action athletic like through from all different angles and then you saw his junior year you're like man like what's going on here like more climby from the top like trying to typical like to the air and throw but luckily it was only a shortened season um you know obviously i say that with you know i think it was going on like tongue-in-cheek but for sure um you know when he came we started talking about it when he came to sorry when he came to summer camp and he was like you know he was trying to get more carry on the ball for scouts and whatnot and he asked me point blank he's like what do you like and i was like well what do you like to do and he's like well i like the way i threw my sophomore year i was like dude no doubt man like i'm i'm in on that man like you have you have the freedom like your body's in the right spot like there's you know, you're not from video wise, obviously we did some biomechanical stuff on him when, when we got him, but like, just looking at that video, it looks like there's not much like this stress on your arm, like your body's in the right posture, like you're using your, your back, your back hip. Well, you're using the ground force, like all these boxes you're checking. I'm like, that's something I want to double down on and harness that. And he's like, yeah, I'm in on it. So ever since that, we just kind of just really just his pliable program he's done. I mean, he linked up with tread athletics, uh, this past off season, I managed uh, in low A, I managed the performance coordinator, Tyler Zombro. So we got together and, you know, he talked to his crew and they put together a great program for him. So they kind of like prep his body and his, and his movements, you know, before he even threw a ball. And, you know, that's something that he's done in his minor leagues. When I challenge him on his pregame throwing, it's just throw from different angles, different body positions. Like once you get loose, just a, 
and have a feel for it and obviously have a focal point for your target, you know, be in the chest or being being the catch pot in the face and then just throw from different angles and make adjustments from there. Um, and we have certain checkpoints as far as his posture and his, and his back hip and his, and his back foot, as I alluded to earlier. But, you know, to kind of see him you know, grow and double down on that and then get to, to the big leagues this year and kind of see it on display for everyone was awesome to see because there was so much work behind 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 the scenes. I like to call it the unseen hours. You know, Alan Sign Jr., um, you know, coined that phrase. He's, he's awesome. And, and I believe in that. Like, he put so much work in and – to kind of see where he was at, you know, at the, when the lights of the brightest was awesome. And, you know, and like I, I keep on saying that, like, there's so many people that, that help him and help me um, kind of get where he's at. And, you know, we leverage a lot of our resources to kind of make sure that he, he stays on point. For sure. And I think the arm slot thing is like, it's, it's a big no teach, um, you know, in, in terms of like with our younger guys, the lower arm slot creates much better rotation in the upper body. And I, and I, if you have a higher arm slot, I'm still not going to touch it. We're going to figure it out. But it's just the idea of like, he's such a great example of like, wherever you feel natural being able to do it, like we got to figure that out first before we try to make an adjustment. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the piece that's been great for him, for guys like me to have examples of being like, you know, somebody who has a lower arm slot and they're, you know, little league coach or high school coach is telling them they got to get their arm up. It's like, no, just get behind the ball. You know, we get behind the ball. We're going to be okay. No matter where we are, we'll see the spin. Is there any other tools you use in terms of like him just like seeing the spin of the ball being that it's from a different angle. We can kind of lose that spin at times. Yeah. I mean, I think one, what you said is spot on, like find the back, like be behind the baseball. You know, I was around Kyle Snyder, the raised big league pitching coach for a while. And, you know, he tells all his pitches to find the back of the ball. And it's such a simple, easy cue. But if you just find the back of the ball or stay behind the back of the ball, you're going to be in a good spot when you deliver the baseball at any position. You know, I think you look at shortstops, it's like the, that's like the holy grail of the baseball positions and they throw from every angle, you know? So now you're behind the play and everything got morphed into getting to the air and being behind, you know, that's, you know, it's tough to, it's tough to sell sometimes, but you know, the tools we use, uh, I just love the plyo balls. You know, I love the squishiness, the finger pressure. Um, you know, you can get a focal point with an ex- external cue with either tape or an, another visual, and then you get the feel of, you know, you can see the ball bounce. You know, we want to make sure it bounces down in the right spot, doesn't get squirrely off the wall. Um, we've messed around with, um, you know, a clean fuego type ball with, uh, you know, just p- drawing a, a stripe on the ball mm-hmm. to kind of see the spin axis. Um, you know, and for him, he's starting to, with any good, with with any player, you want them to feel it, right? You want them to be their own coach and kind of lead them to that that area. So he's gotten to the point where he can feel, and when the ball comes off his fingertips, he knows it's in the right spot and the ball flight of it. Like he understands where, you know, the ball flight. Sometimes he actually gets like like a little upshoot carry, a la Tyler Rogers, with when he throws, <laughs> and and that's usually because he just gets underneath the ball and he's staying behind the ball, but he's just underneath it a little bit. Um, you know, and then I have, you know, me, I'm usually his catch partner when he, when he's, uh, getting ready to play. So I see the ball flight as well. And we have that interaction as well. So there's not too many like tools, tools we use. I would say the plyo balls is kind of like our bread and butter. Yeah. I love the plyo balls and I love the clean fuegos too, because it's the idea of like, you know, I'm not concerned if it's, you know, 12, six, 
It's right. just, is it tight? And it's staying on the axis the entire mm-hmm. time. So like when we're in here and guys are playing, it's like, Hey, you know, you might throw it, you know, at this angle and he might throw it at this angle. And it's all good. As long as it's staying on that same axis that they're on. Yeah. Obviously I just like, like the, like the, you know, not everyone has access to like the clean flago, but like the strike ball, like that's, you know, we use that a lot too with our pitches and stuff and you can get some cool video, you know, cause it's, it's a great visual to, to play back for the guys to kind of see the, the the line on it and it's also the same feel of you know it's a baseball so you're not worried about like the the different like hockey puck feel yeah yeah, yeah. The throwing yeah for sure love it so talk a little bit about obviously i mean he he you know had done pretty much everything in every category he did pretty well this year um talk about the receiving aspect in terms of i always like to know guys come from college um and i think obviously things are are evolving everywhere um but guys from from college and they come to to you uh what's the biggest adjustment we've got to make on the receiving piece when you get those guys coming in uh the biggest adjustment on the receiving piece that's a really good question um I think that what we re- what we usually see is just that the false glove move um or like tracking the ball with your glove um, cause it's so, it's just, that's, just what catches do. And that's what you've been, you know, coming up as a young player is that the ball's mm-hmm. thrown, you bring your glove up and you want to track where it's at. And it's tough to have the catcher to feel that patience and trust their hands and staying below the ball. Um, so that's usually the, the main area. And that's something that we attacked with, you know, with Patty and he wanted to address as well. It's just the patience of just staying below the ball at all times. Um, you know, and obviously there is a stance component to that, to getting in the right posture. Um, but for him, it was default. Like, like looking back on it, looking at old videos when he was in summer camp and and the trial and error and, you know, just kind of storyboarding and blueprinting kind of how we want to go about it and like getting them, you know, we had him sit, by, uh, put the chair backwards and have him sit over the chair with his arm hanging to feel it. Like we did so much, so much drills to, to get that feel um and if you look across the league you know the the, you know the better catches in the game have that patience of keeping that glove down um so that's kind of like the main thing that we attacked with him that we try to attack with all catches because i firmly believe that if your glove is in the right spot at ball flight and you have that patience it just allows you to work in all three areas at your optimal level right it's gonna if your glove comes up it's gonna be tough to block because now your glove has to come back down if you're throwing you know, you, usually the pitches are going down. Your glove has to be in the right spot. So I think for us, like, we just want to attack that that patience and make sure our glove is in the right spot. And then now we can morph into different areas. I noticed, too, with him, he, he tends to uh, change his pre-pitch move based on the pitch that he's catching. Is that something you guys work on as well? Yeah, that's, you know, for me, uh, I'm not sure how, you know, the industry feels about it. That's more of like an, uh, an advanced move, I call it. Um, I think there is a lot that goes into it. You have to know if your pitcher can actually get the ball that spot consistently because you're leaving yourself wide open to a missed spot, um, you know, but also like if you can cheat and then, you know, Patty's gifted enough and talented enough where if the pitcher misses a spot and he's cheating the wrong way, he can make up for it and keep it a strike that the name of the game is you just want to keep strike strikes and you mm-hmm. want to get as many strikes as you can um, without giving up too much. And so that's something that we, we talked about with Patty. We talked about with Joey uh, Buster as well. I think every catcher that we try to, that we have, we try to, you know, once they're in a great position, they have a good feel of the glove load, the glove in space, 
and the pitcher on the mound, they're confident enough that they're going to get it there at a, at a pretty high clip. You know, let's, let's anticipate and cheat to it, kind of mirror the pitch shape to that, especially with the guys, the arsenal that are, you know, that our guys were throwing with, with Logan Webb and, and Cobby, um, you know, even Tyler Rogers, right. We had some funkiness to us. Um, so, you know, we want to not, we want to cheat to it, and, but also give our, give the umpire the best look at certain pitches. So that's something we, we talked about. Um, and a lot of the times he just does it on field too, you know, and that's, and that's the great thing, right. Is that you want to train, you know, your, your catches as best you can. So when they go into the game, they, they just allow their natural athleticism to play. They can read the game and they have the feel of the game to kind of like feel and try different things. And and that's what Patty is, is really good at. I love it. Yeah. I haven't really like taught per se kind of the, the different pre-pitch, but it's kind of uh, evolved where it's like when we're trying to just like exaggerate, you know, if mm-hmm. we're like just dragging the glove or we're doing something to exaggerate it, some guys just kind of morph themselves into like, man, when I get that slider, I just kind of like go down to the right foot a little bit more to load up. Um, and then they start to get super aggressive with the move, which is the best part, right? It's no longer oh, just yeah. like, I'm trying to make this move. It's like, whack like we're like yeah. really aggressively making the move and that's what what uh patrick does really well yeah that's a great point bt i mean i think you in your training environment right you want to create a, a cultivate a great training environment and you know have the players lead it and then ultimately they feel it and then it kind of hits them and when like to your point like if you're trying to over exaggerate like ripping that pitch back into the strike zone like a right-handed slider over exaggerating that move and you show them on video, you talk to them, you see the feeling, you're like, dude, you're ripping the crap out of that. Your timing's great. Your glove speed is awesome. You're pocketing the ball. And then they're like, well, can I do this in the game? You're like, absolutely, dude. Like, yes, like certain pit. Yeah, and that's kind of how that conversation piece happens. So, and that all st- stems from the training environment. I think it's, you know, that's something that, that we've pride ourselves on is I do not know everything. Our coaches don't know everything. And you know, I leverage as many resources as we as we can. And a lot of it's player driven, pretty much all of it's player driven. And, you know, to kind of get that back and forth conversation, that shared ownership and that marriage. And now you can go to a game. Now the player has so much confidence in his ability to execute. I was going to ask you that because I love that in those videos that the you guys put out on YouTube, um, just like you coming in and being like, all right, what do you want to do today? What are you feeling today? And I love that you know, getting their feedback, like, what have you been struggling with? Um, so that's obviously a big part of what you guys are doing in terms of giving them ownership of their development. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's also a great box check for you too, right? So you're hoping that when you ask a player, hey, what do you want to do today? Hopefully it aligns with what you're thinking or what that player needs to work on. If it's something out of left field, it's kind of like, okay, the message I delivered a couple of days ago wasn't great. So I got to, I got to revisit how I deliver that message. I got to, you know, rethink my, my feedback loop for them. So it's a great box check as a coach, but yeah, like you want, you want the player to come in and be, and be happy to work. I think with the catch and position, you know, we get our ass kicked, you know, the, the catches get their ass kicked and it's, and the, the work is, is tough and it's grindy and, you know, you want the players to come in and, and enjoy the work environment. They want to enjoy get in there and get and get better um so i have them be player driven and then deliver the practice or the work that day to to drive it is is the best you know and that's something where you know initially like when you first get a player there's kind of like that awkward feeling out and so it's not that 
um, player driven, but you still want to get there. But ultimately, I think the ultimate goal is to when that player comes in, hey, I want to I want to attack this today. You know, I struggle with this. Boom. Yep. It's all the same thing. Talk about it and let's ride. Let, let's roll. And I think it gets that speed of business um, much more efficient because at the end of the day, like everyone, especially you know, at professional level, the player's time is valuable. There's a lot of people that are pulling at them, hitting, base running, um, <clears throat> strength, strength conditioning, whatever it is. So you want to make sure when you have them, you're getting to work. The work is concise, efficient, and they can move on. They're not there just kind of feeling, feeling their way around for a half hour. That's a great point. I think we always forget sometimes as coaches, we're watching catchers and we're like, so hard on them or always hard on them. Coaches are always hard on them. Obviously they're, they have yeah. more plays and so it's difficult. We always forget they got a hit too. And I think that's a part <laughs> yeah. of it. That's like, you know, sometimes yeah. it's, it goes both ways, but it's like the idea of like, man, these guys got a lot, way more mm -hmm. like tell all the kids when they first come in, I'm like, why do you like playing this position? They all go, I like being involved. I'm like, hell yeah. But mm -hmm. with that comes a ton of responsibility because that left fielder, he don't got to work on his defense very much. He gets to go smash all day long. You yeah. know, yeah, it's like a little different yeah. for us. You know what I mean? Oh, dude, no doubt, man. Especially if like, you know, as a catcher, like usually you hit last, like you have to catch bullpens and do all this stuff. Then it's like, oh yeah, by the way, go hit. And now your legs are done. Your body's toast. Like, yeah, there's a lot going on. Um, and the really good coaches I've been around, you know, they've, they see the big picture for the player. They know that their area is just one small piece, right? And we want to crush our area. You want, we want to dominate that area, but there's a bigger version to the baseball player. So you want to make sure that you, you know, echo that to the player. And, but also, you know, you want to make sure when they're there, they're locked, dialed, and that in that time is, is, is being, is being officially done. And like those YouTube videos, you know, the way, the way we set it up in Scottsdale stadium is that that bullpen is like the left field bullpen in the stadium and the batting cage is right next door. So literally every time the guys, the guys always say it, they always give me, give me crap about it. But when they're done, when they're done with the catching work, I always say, all right, go make your money. Like go hit, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yep, you, you did your work. Cool. Now go make your money, go bang. Cause obviously that's where, you know, what baseball is about, especially if you're a position player, it's it's about that bad what you can do you do in the batter's box so i think we just have to keep that holistic version of view of the player absolutely you obviously have a great relationship with your players i mean those videos it's so great just seeing you interact with those guys in that idea of you trying to be precise with your time and making sure everything's efficient what are you doing to make sure you maintain that relationship i love how you're like you know i always say like we got to make it more in baseball and you have a lot of conversation that goes on that's what's going on outside of their baseball where do you make the time or, or kind of dive into the personal relationship side of it i mean all the time uh, i think it's that's something when i first started coaching you know i told myself and i still remind myself like this game is tough dude this game is hard like no matter what level it is like this game is hard and it was hard for me you know it was a grind um you know i'm five five eight on a good day and even guys at the highest level, like they have their ups and downs, you know, like they, they go through some things and some stuff's off the field. You don't know about some stuff is on the field. They're going with another, with another area. So you always want to have that communication and not just be, you know, completely transactional where, all right, what are you going to do for me? This work today. Like, let's, you know, let's get this in. Like you're receiving numbers are down. You're not throwing great. Like, like you, I feel like some coaches think what the player does is a reflection on them which to me is, is, is far from it is like, you want to 
way you get the most out of the player for me is, you know, having that relationship and kind of feeling out like what's going on with them. And, and that's why I pride myself on, I am not their smartest guy by any stretch of imagination. There is a hell of a lot more dynamic catching coaches than me that know a lot more than me. And I fully aware of that, but, and I think for me, I'm very humble in the, in the, in the, in the point of, I know I can get better all the time. And when the players see that, they know I'm trying to get them better and I'm always trying to to look for new ways to for myself to grow. And so in turn, it's only going to help them. And so my communication is like just always ongoing and constant with the players, um, you know, in the clubhouse, you know, off the field, shoot them texts, you know, like little stuff like that. I think it just goes a long way, you know, especially if you're, you know, you're just, you know, just shooting the shit with them and, you know, you see something on TV or like you shoot them like a, a, a video on Instagram, you see that's funny. Like it's like the, all those like the little interactions, the players really enjoy that because they, like, they don't want to see you and they'd be like, OK, what is Alvin going to say about catching now? Like, he must have something for me or whatever. Like they just want to like just generally, hey, man, what's up? What, what are you doing? Just, you know, family good. You good. What did you do last night? What you have for dinner? Like all those little things. And and I think that morphs back to, to the uh, you know, the previous talk about, you know, the holistic view of the player, like you want to talk to the other coaches too. And that's something that I think that we, we do really well in San Francisco. And, you know, these past couple of years was, you know, having relationships with different areas. So for me, it was with the hitting coaches and they will let me know like, Hey man, you know, Patty, Joey, Trumpy, Buster, whoever the catcher is like, man, we kicked his ass in the cage today. We kicked his ass in the cage today. It was a tough cage session. So I know when he comes to me, all right, I need to give him a win. Like, I'm not going to beat him down. I might have to change what I want to attack with him. All right, now let's kind of let's let's tone it down a little bit. Let's give him a win, make him make him feel good, still work on some things, but not challenge him too much. And so the next day, I'll you know, then you have to talk with the hitting guys like, hey, I'm going to challenge him today. So that's why, like, I feel like the, the communication with every area is paramount for each player. So good. Fires me up. There's like oh, the- fun. The communication aspect, and that's the thing I think sometimes we just lose with coaches is, you know, the idea that these are humans and, you know, they're not mm-hmm. just baseball players and uh, that fires me up. So mm-hmm. um, obviously I live in the Bay Area, so I get to watch the Giants. You know, they're on TV every night. Um, I'm an A's fan, by the way. But I love that. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, this is this is random, but I grew up an A's fan as well from Massachusetts. Did you? I How? love I love the Bash Brothers, dude. Like Mark oh, yeah. McGuire, I can name that whole team: Canseco, McGuire, Walt Rice, Lance Blakemanship, uh, Connie Lansford. Like I can like that's that Smoke. was my team. Oh, dude, Dave yeah. Stewart. Like that, yeah. like that was that was my team. And my dad used to get mad at me because this was before. I mean, I'm I'm 40. This is before like the internet and stuff. So my dad had to like find all this stuff in magazines to get A stuff. So I grew up an Ace fan as well. So that's awesome. I know these kids, they have no clue how good they have it. I tell them all the time. I'm like, look, we used to, when I was a kid, we had, we had the A's and the Giants on. You had Wednesday night doubleheader on ESPN. You had Sunday Mm -hmm. night baseball. And then we uh, always got um, the Braves on, uh, you know, TBS or whatever it was. And I'm like, you guys just click on any game you want. You get to watch whoever you want. I'm like, Mm -hmm. we were at the mercy of whatever was on. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. You're an A's fan. But um, getting a chance to watch the Giants so much here, um, and again, I'm, I'm obviously biased because I watched him so much. I, I find Posey to be, you know, just so incredible in every aspect of what he does. <laughs> and it's like, it starts to get to the point where I get to these, like, you know, like, who's the greatest catcher of all time? And I'm like, man, like, 
I'm telling you, dude, I watched this guy for a long time. He could obviously swing it, but what he did behind the plate was, I mean, so incredible. And uh, I just thought he was always underrated. And I think maybe just because, Mm -hmm. you know, like without the metrics, um, you know, the metrics kind of coming in kind of that like 2015 time, it was like, it's like Yachty was just going to win the gold glove every year. And, you know, Posey never Mm -hmm. really could do much. Then the metrics kind of came in and kind of gave him a little more backing to win one. But mm-hmm. talk a little bit about him, um, his his work, and he evolved too. A little bit of the evolution of him as you had him later in his career. Yeah, I mean it's crazy to say that, right? That like Busso was kind of like sneaky underrated. Like the dude won three championships. I mean, what? Like that's that, everything that's, on that's... his resume too. Oh MVP, rookie of the year. You know, I mean, batting title. Yeah. yeah, I mean, dude, insane. Like, ah, I cut no hitters, perfect games. Like, yep. there's so many boxes that he checked. It's like, Ugh. what are we talking? And that's why, for me as a coach coming in, my first time coaching the big leagues, like I had, like, he's the standard. Like, so now, I'm very fortunate and lucky that I got to be around Buster Posey, who, to me, like you put it, is like the top echelon. So I know what the standard is. So I every catcher that I get now. That I'm around, I know where the standard is and what to get to. And like you said, like Busta did everything well. Like his his care for for every aspect of the game, every little detail was high, was extremely high. And not just like because like catcher, you see everything. So it's like holding people accountable and being in the right spot on the you know cuts and relays, um, butt plays, base running, like all of the little things. He was on and dialed and that just came like he probably had it naturally. But like when you're grinding for so many games and you have so many plays on your belt, now it's just kind of like second nature for you. Um, so like, you know, like Buster, he's I think the the thing that stands out with Buster is one, like the give a shit level on every little detail, but also like how he cared so much about the game and winning. Like he didn't care about you know, the fandom and like people calling his name and like getting his name out there. He just cared about showing up to the, to the field and trying to win that game. That is it. Like, that's all he cared about. And it was refreshing to see. And his like, maturation and kind of how he grew is because he just, he just wants to win. He, he knows that, you know, I have to, a, any great player I've been around and Buster is, you know, probably the greatest player I've been around is, you know, he's just always looking to get better every, any margin for him to get better, he knows it's going to help the team win. So that's kind of like how our, our conversations morphed. Um, you know, I think the I gave a, a presentation or a meeting to the catchers day one of spring training in, in 2020. You know, and I talked about like the the receiving numbers with with runners on base, runners on third base. You know, that's something where we can like win the margins. You know, just kind of get better is kind of elevate those numbers, show them the numbers with balls in the dirt the percentages, stolen bases, like all that stuff, all the stuff that we know that's out there. And Buster, after the presentation, came up to me. He's like, man, that was like one of the coolest things I've been a part of because I knew that innately. I knew that. And to actually see the numbers was awesome to back it up. So now I know, all right, Buster is one, he's extremely intelligent. So I know that he can he can digest information. He can take it in. I can give him the numbers, and he's fine with it. So that was a great a, a great relationship builder right away. So I know I can stop pouring stuff into him, especially with the changes our pitching staff was making with certain guys and swaying the usages and you know setting up in different spots. Um, I think that was the biggest change for Buster was he was so used to catching 
you know, PVs, the, you know, the Tim Hudson's, the Matt Cain's where he can just move corner to corner and they're going to dot up. But, you know, the, the guys that we have, we just wanted to get them over the white with, you know, their, their plus stuff. Mm-hmm. So now it's like, okay, I, we, we talked a, a ton about mislocations, missed spots and like dealing with that, making sure you're in the right spot. And that's kind of how it morphed into like where he was at in 21. And from a stance standpoint, it was, it was given to him different options that day, you know, as he, he took off the whole 2020 season and, you know, he was obviously at the end of his career, you know, he, you know, he retired after that year, but you know, your body's not responding the way it wants to. Right. So to sit in a, a squat, a traditional stance, you know, I'm, you know, you've talked about it at length on this podcast, but it's not for everyone. Right. And same thing with the knee down. So if your hips are not feeling great that day, why would you force yourself to get in that stance? His left knee down, now you can move this way. Oh, okay, well, you now your ankle, you know, is not feeling great. His right knee down, let's work on that. So now you have that option as well. So it's just weaponizing them to, to have different, different stances to deploy throughout that game. And also like the, and then we got into pitch types and how like certain stances can help you with, with pitch types and stuff. And, and he loved that information. That's something where like, I'm extremely, extremely humbled by that. We had that relationship and that he was that open-minded to have those conversations. And, you know, he was a big driver of why we won 107 games that year was because of him. And, you know, everyone looked at him um, as a leader and rightfully so. But when you see your leader, that's, trying everything to win and trying different things and kind of getting out of his comfort zone a little bit um, was awesome. Um, so I'm extremely indebted. I, I love Buster. Very fortunate. Like I said, like now for me as a, co- a catching coach, I have the standard. I work with the standard. I know what that looks like from every area of the game. So that's kind of like my, my checkpoint for, for all of our guys. And I think that's the, you know, again, like you said, every stance is different for every guy. They're not for everybody, but it is the idea of like taking it a little bit deeper. Like, are you finding that, that like guys like Posey, like just started to feel a little bit better at the end of the year by utilizing that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's like tongue in cheek. You would say, man, I wish I'd done this a little early in my career. You know, I would have my like legs underneath me and and, and whatnot. I mean, there's been, I think that's the feedback I get from catches when we, when they first start transitioning to knee down. Um, and I think like the misconception with us is that we change guys to knee down and it's actually just a byproduct of the training environment. You know, they, we get them down, like they figure out that I can actually block easier and I can read the ball flight a little longer. You know, I think the, the, the nature of this game is like, we're just trying to buy more time, right. As an athlete in the box, we're trying to buy more time to see the pitch type, you know, in the infield, out, going down the mountain as a pitcher, like we're all trying to buy more time. So as the catchers are like, man, I can buy myself more time and I can actually block it is easier, like from this position. Um, so that's kind of where like that all morphed to. And, and that's where like the feedback they get, like, man, my body is, I can block for days. You know, I think when I was a young minor league coach and before we did, you know, the knee with knee down was prevalent. It was like, you had to set aside a blocking day. And like, you had to like, give the catcher a heads up, like, yo guys, we're blocking on Wednesday. It's Monday. Like, make sure your body's ready to block. But now we literally block every day. Like every day is, is blocking because we're doing some type of like reaction ball flight reads with receiving 
blocking, throwing, make sure you're in the right spot. And so now we're blocking more consistently, not having that high volume day where you just crush the catches. Because I know when I was in my leagues, like I remember like, oh, shit, it's a blocking day. I am about to get my ass kicked. And you were done. And you would, but then you didn't block for another, another like four days, you know? So I think like the disassured consistency of, you know, getting balls in the dirt is, is helping these guys. Yeah. Whenever I get guys and I kind of start to just introduce the one knee stances, I'll do blocking. I'll be like, okay, go traditional, you know, mm-hmm. we block, you know, maybe like 15 balls. And then I go, okay, go grab a drink of water and then come on <laughs> back, you know, and then they go knee down and they start blocking and it becomes, I'm like, how do you feel right now? Like, I'm good. I'm like, yeah, there's, there's a difference in that. I said, now we got to, obviously production is, is number mm-hmm. one. Right. But right. at the end of the day, there's something to that. And a guy like Posey, man, I mean, geez, the guy, like we talked about MVP batting title, you know, and we'd spent mm-hmm. the last five years of his career, everybody going out, ah, maybe you should go to third base or maybe it's like, right. but we never, we never thought, you know, as like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, never thought to figure out how to make it a little bit easier on those guys catching. Yeah. Because again, you have a guy that, how could you take that guy away from behind the plate? I mean, that to oh. me was like the most absurd thing. I tell people all the time. I agree. The three world series, People like the, if you look at it just casually, it's kind of like they all had pretty good pitching, obviously, and they kind of got some guys that were hot. But the biggest difference was they had different pitching staffs every time, right? It wasn't the same. It yeah. wasn't like it wasn't like Lincecum, Bumgarner, and Kane were healthy all of those three championships. It was like it was Lincecum in year one was the guy, then he fell off, and Kane was the guy, and Mad Bum was kind of the consistent one through those, and then became mm-hmm. the guy at the end. But I'm like. You know how difficult it is to manage that as a catcher, all those different pitchers moving in and out year and year. He was the consistency in that. Um, and I think it, what kind of relationships with the pitchers did he have? Obviously, it, it appeared like he was – I even forgot about the like the no-hitters and the perfect games he brought up. I'm like, geez, like how insane is that? And yeah. obviously, that's just a testament to the, you know, the, the relationship, the pitch calling and all of that. What was he like with the pitchers? Oh, it was, he was great. I mean, he was a, a, like as just a steady presence in the clubhouse. You know, he was always having conversations with the pitchers, always like revisiting, you know, pitch calls. Hey, how's my setup for you? Is anything I can do better? Like he was, he was literally trying to get the most out of them. And that's something where it was never, it was never about him. It's never about him. It's about the team. And he, and that's something where that selflessness, that leadership mentality he had, this permeate through the, through the clubhouse. And, and like, obviously you brought up the starters, but even the relievers, man, like he did it with different closes, you know, some of the closes that, you know, with Brian, Brian Wilson, Sergio Romo, you know, uh, Castillo, like it's so many dudes that he had and gnarly stuff out of the pen. That's tough to catch. Cause you don't have that relationship of catching a hundred pitches with them. You know what they're doing and you're catching their pregame bullpen. These relievers are coming in sporadically and you have to deal with, their nasty, their nasty crap in the game and get the most out of them. And like when in 21, you know, a young Camille Duvall is up and Buster and Camilo was like trying to figure out like who he was. Buster literally just goes, Camille, throw whatever you want. You can shake me off, throw whatever you want. Cause he knew for us to win games, he had to get the most out of a rookie closer. And what, how, how is he going to get the him comfortable? And the comfort was him just going to Camilo, throw whatever you want. I trust you. I got you. Don't feel like you have to throw what I call. And that's, and that's a dude that has so much clout 
and like and like we talked about with the the perfect games and the World Series championships. So have a young a young pitcher to go. Oh, he trusts me to throw whatever I want. Oh, okay. So now he has conviction whatever he's throwing. So again, that's a testament to Buster. He doesn't have an ego, um, and that's something where I try to portray to every catcher is that you know you want them to have pride in the game calling and the game prep, and you like obviously you feel a little taken back when you get shaken off, but at the end of the day, it's it's the pitcher's game. And the more they trust you, the more they feel themselves on the mound, the better and not to get defensive. Because it's not about you. It's about that guy in the mound. That's something that Buster that Buster really did extremely well. So he was just like just a total pro. Total pro pro. Yeah. Was he like super vocal as a leader? It's almost like you don't have to be when it's like, oh, if he's doing everything right, like everybody just goes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. He was vocal when he needed to be, which was great. Cause I think it wasn't that he's not a rah, 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 rah leader where it's just like constant, a constant voice talking. Like he was quiet to himself. Did a, he had great feel of like when, to, when to talk shit, when the bus people shops, but when he had something to say, people listen because it's not like he was talking a lot, you know, and like overly being communicative. So it's like, Oh crap, boss has something to say. I better listen. Like he's talking to me about this. If something must be, he must be seeing something. So I got to listen. So he, he leveraged, he leveraged how he wasn't overly communicative. So when communicative, so when he delivered a message, it, it landed. Yeah. I always told kids, you know, like when he was playing five, seven years ago, I'm like, do you realize what we have in the Bay area with Buster Posey and Steph Curry? I mean, it's like, oh, man. talk about like the, just such a, they're so similar to me in the way of like, they are the hardest worker. So mm-hmm. everybody else goes, all right, well, if that guy's working, then I got to be working. Right. And they're right. both, and you've already said this both coachable. So then you get to the yeah. point of like the guys that really need to kind of get better and, and get some coaching. If they're seeing, if, if they can see Posey can see you coaching him and, or people could see you coaching Posey. And then, you know, the guys on the Warriors see Steve Kerr coaching Steph Curry hard. It's like everyone else mm-hmm. goes, Oh shit. I got to pick, I got to pick it up. I think that's exactly. such a key to it, to the leadership piece is like, if you want to be the best, like you don't just get everything handed to you because you're the best player. Like you've got to be the the prime example. Yeah. And that's something where, you know, I was a young catcher coming up. It was always like, you got to be vocal. You got to be loud. Like, yes, no doubt. Like there's when you're directing traffic, you got to be loud, but it's not just like dead noise. And you just like, you just have to like, start like yelling at people. Like, no, like bust your ass, but like getting behind, backing up the base or like on and off the field, like all like the little things like you're talking about players see that so when he's doing that it's like oh i gotta do this but also he was he was great about asking questions to other other catchers i remember in, in like in 21 like he's asking you know, chadwick trump who caught a lot of a lot of games for us in 2020 and he was knee down and he was asking trumpy questions like hey man like what do you got with knee down like what are you feeling what are you trying to do here so now in like the group setting you see buster other catchers you see buster talking to trumpy about his catching and asking like genuine thoughtful questions it's like oh yeah okay he doesn't know everything he's actually curious about how how to get better so that's the kind of like the player driving the culture and and that's something where again i completely indebted to him just how we delivered the message and like how we interacted with his peers so cool man it's awesome to get that insight on such a good player man he's such a man Dude, just insane he's such a dude man yeah he's such a dude and now I, he's kind of my boss now he's kind of my boss you know he's <laughs> he's doing his thing which is it, it's cool it's fun 
I'm pumped he's back, man. I mean, I know like oh, right man. when he, you know, when he retired, he was saying he's going back. I know he did go back to Georgia, but um, I mean, talk about a legend in an organization, having him stick around. That's, that's massive. Um, that's a great, it's a great resource. It for really sure. Is. So I want to talk a little bit about you because you're a good story too. And I, obviously we got a lot of young catchers, um, young players in general that uh, are with us and, and hopefully listening in. You went to a small division two school. I did. Uh, and you, college. Yeah. And yep. you ended up, ended up playing professional baseball. Um, and I think these are always stories that we have to tell because it's such a, a division one or bust uh, mm -hmm. mentality these days. Talk a little bit about, you know, just your playing division two and then what happened after and how you were able to get opportunities. Yeah. Um, oh man, such so my, my looking back on it, you know, obviously I had to go through some interview processes this off season a little bit with uh certain jobs. So it's, it's fun to revisit like where you, like where you, where you came from and kind of like where, where you're at now. And, you know, I went to a small, no, I'm from a small town in Massachusetts, um, you know, and luckily my dad was awesome. I had some some really good baseball guys around me in, in Massachusetts. And, you know, I wanted to go D1 just like anyone, you know. And I started Vossi as a freshman, you know, four years to auto. So in my head, I'm like, yep, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to go D1. I'm going to get drafted, all this stuff. And I was cocky as hell, man, like cocky, arrogant, because I'm smaller. So I felt like, you know, I had to be a little different. And, you know, I made a verbal commitment to go to, you know, Providence College, you know, uh, my freshman year. But then they got rid of the, the program, you know, because of Title IX. So I was kind of left without a spot to play and I wasn't really feeling any of the D one schools in the Northeast. It just wasn't like my style. I didn't really vibe with, you know, any of the coaches and, you know, lucky my dad was like, you don't, you don't feel like you have to go to division one. Like, don't feel like, like you can go wherever you want to go. Like if you're good enough, they'll find you. Um, and luckily the the head coach from Eckerd college is from Newport, Rhode Island, uh, Bill Matthews. And, you know, he took a chance on me. So Obviously, I went down to, to my recruiting visit in like December, I believe, and I leave snow and 20 degrees and I land in, you know, St. Pete, you know, Tampa area. And it's like 75 and beautiful. I'm like, yep, done. Bet. I'm coming here. <laughs> like, that was it. Um, you know, and oh, man, like my experience at college was phenomenal. I was around a lot of great, a lot of great beast, uh, baseball people and men. Um like we had like the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, like a lot of their players trained with us in the off season, you know? And so I was around like Joey Gathray, um, Derek Anderson, um, Nick Beerbrot, like all these guys I seen at professional level are now working out with us. And they would <clears throat> kind of like take me under their wing and like, we would go out and have dinner and I would catch their pens and stuff. So I kind of get to see and interact with those guys. Um, you know, so that was a great experience. And then kind of, after I was a senior sign, well, I wasn't a senior sign. I was a senior. I get invited to go to the pre-draft workout at the TROP. And, you know, I had a, I had a pretty decent workout. And, you know, this, you know the, the area scout was like, you know, you, we're probably going to take you second day. I'm like, oh, hell yeah. Call everyone back home. I'm like, yo, I'm going to go. I'm going to go second, second day, blah, blah, blah. Draft came and went. Nothing happened. Um, so that was, to, like, I, I tell the story all the time. Like, to me, that was like the like the most humbling experience and I kind of changed who I am and kind of reason why who I am today, because like I said, I was cocky and arrogant. And then you get told like, yeah, you're not even going to get drafted and you have to go back home with the tail between your legs and get a real job it was tough. Um, you know, but then, so I got a real job and then the following offs, the following year, you know, there was some movement, the, um, you know, there's a new am, uh, head of amateur scouting 
a couple catches retired. So they needed a catcher to come in and catch bullpens um, in spring training. So they asked me to do that. So I signed like a, a contract to do that. And next thing I know, I, I turned into a, a nine year playing career in the minor leagues. So I think for me, like no matter where you go, as long as you have an opportunity to play and you're in the right situation in college and you have the right people around you, you're going to get the most out of yourself and, and your, what you can potentially can do. I think it's, I try to tell a lot of catchers and a lot of young players, you know, when they go through that process is to, is to make sure that they're, they're finding the right situation for them. You're interviewing the college coaches, you're interviewing the travel ball coaches for that facility. Like, you want to make sure that it's the right spot for you. You're not just going to go to, to, to a certain area because the name across the chest, like at the end of the day, the name across your chest is always going to change. You're going to play for a variety of different teams. The name on the back of your, on the back of your Jersey is never going to change. So you want to make sure that you're in the right situation for you and you're able to grow and get the most out of yourself. You don't just date the girl because she likes you, you know, you date yes. her because you like her. I think that's like the thing I tell guys. I'm like, it's just way too much of like, I just want attention. I just want, it's like, what the, you know, you have no idea. You're just like waiting for that trip. You know, you got your Twitter post already, you know, set up to announce your commitment. It's like, (laughs) you don't even like, it's a whole different experience. You said it. Weather was a big Mm -hmm. piece of it for you. We got kids Mm -hmm. from California that go out to the Midwest and like, oh yeah, I'm going D1. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, let me know what Chicago's like in January (laughs) and we'll see where you're at. You know what I mean? It's a different, whole different world, you know? A whole different world. It's so tough. It's a chase, you know, like, you know, bring it back to, to me. And like, I use that experience now. Like, I'm not trying to chase a job title. You know, I'm trying to chase the right people around me, the right organization. Like, that's where I want to be. I want to be in a great culture where, you know, we can all strive to, to to win a championship and get the most out of our players. And as a player, like, you want to go to a place to do the same. You want to get the most out of yourself. You want to know that the coaches are invested in you just like you're invested in the program. And, you know, in a lot of the, some coaches, I say everyone, it's tough to blanket everyone, but it's a lot of transactional relationships. But at the end of the day, you have to you have to do what's best for you. And sometimes that might be going to the Midwest and finding a great program from, you know, coming from California, or it might be just staying home and going to a NIA school and, and dominating there and, you know, and, and get the most out of yourself. And that's where, you know, one of my good friends, Stephen Vogt, um, that's what he did. He went to an AIA school, you know, and, and, and did his thing and dominated. And he was a two-time all-star in the big leagues. Like it's, mm-hmm. there's so many, like baseball is awesome because you, there's so many avenues that you can go and play and get recognized and, and see different, different experiences and, and get the most out of yourself. And that's why I try to tell all anyone I talk to as far as like the, the younger players. I love it, man. I appreciate you spending that message. Cause it's just, such a such a big deal right now in our youth game, but um, oh man, yeah, you're the man. This has been great. I'm gonna add, ask my signature last question here, which if you've listened, you know. But uh, I need to know along your journey, one place to recommend to eat, whether it be back home in Massachusetts, maybe here in the Bay, Florida, mm-hmm. whatever. What's the first one pops into your head? God, the first place, I mean, I, I always go back home. I feel like uh, where I grew up has some great food. Like it's where I'm from, it's called Little Portugal. Um, so and I'm, I'm half Portuguese. So there's a, so many great like Portuguese restaurants back home, like little, like little, um, 
you know, sub shops like Marzilli's Bakery, phenomenal Italian sandwich, Italian sub. Um, you know, there's, you know, Academica, Carvella, like, you know, you have no idea about these places, but um, like there's like this, those foods. And, and that's the beauty of like the, the minor league life is that like, yes, it's a grind, but you get to experience so many like different foods, like barbecue spots. You know, I think it's, you know, like uh, you, the best barbecue I had is actually in the New York area, this place called Dinosaur Barbecue phenomenal phenomenal so i think it's in rochester's in syracuse you know i suggest anyone to go there um but for me like in the bay area i just love like just like the random food trucks and oh, just yeah. getting like tacos off the food trucks just like where i'm where i live now where i'm from like the northeast like authentic street tacos is not available so mm -hmm. anytime i'm in san diego la the Bay Area, like I try to get like the food tacos and just I live, I just start crushing tacos, man. Like that's that's my thing because I just don't get it. So um, just food truck tacos for me is is my go to in on the West Coast. I love it. I know we're so lucky here. I, when I lived in Canada for three years and everywhere I'd go, I'm just kind of like, so where do I just get a burrito or something? And they're like, oh, no, we just like it's not even there. You know what I mean? It's like, man, a minute yeah. I came home, every time I'd come home to visit, first thing I do, man, pick up a burrito on my way home from the airport. Oh, man. So it's it's oh, And that's where like this, this on like Mexican restaurants here. And I was like, yeah, I want like an authentic street taco. Like, that's it, dude. Like, just like, hook me up with that and I'm good. Like, no, you want like, no, 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 no authentic street taco i'm good and it's so tough to to put you know to convey that to them but oh man like the the tacos but oh, the san diego visiting clubhouse oh. dude, i must i must run through about <laughs> 20 tacos and i'm there i feel like we're especially when our team gets in there that's all they do i feel like they're just firing tacos at us left and right and we just start crushing it's fun the, the line cooks are like albernez is coming let's go get those tacos made Oh, and I'm that dude that's there early at the field, like there early. So as soon as I come in, they look at me and start laughing. I'm like, not yet, not yet, but you know it's coming. You get that order ready, dude. Hell yeah. Hell oh, yeah. I love it, man. Hey, I appreciate you coming on, dude. I, uh, no, I, just... I, I appreciate it. I know we've been trying to link up for a while and, you know, our, our schedules haven't connected, but I appreciate you having me on, man. I love what you're doing. I love the podcast and it's, it's uh, humbling to, to be on here with you and, and, and keep moving the game, man. Keep making an impact. It's fun. I appreciate you. And uh, we'll keep in touch. Absolutely. Brother. Thank you. All right, man. Thanks again. If you enjoyed that, be sure to like and subscribe. We'll have a new episode for you every single Tuesday here on our YouTube channel and wherever you listen to podcasts.